I'm, ex- I'm excited to be here with you guys today. Uh, don't worry, a little technical difficulties. Uh, I'm very humbled and appreciative that Matt would let me speak with you guys about what God has been doing with me in the scriptures. And uh, we're going to continue our series this week, Love is Stronger. And today we're going to talk about how love is stronger than brokenness. Love is stronger than brokenness. You ever felt broken in life? You ever felt desperate in life? Cubs fans out there, desperate right now, three and one, down, the curse is still alive. They're desperate. You ever felt desperate in politics? A few of us, maybe. You feel desperate? I feel desperation so many times. I feel it all in my life, and I think a source of that is I'm a father of three, and I have a five-year-old, a two-year-old, and a newborn. I think I have a a picture here of us. That's my our new daughter Eden on the on this side of the screen. Eden is now I think ten weeks, somewhere around there. Uh, my wife no, I don't I don't keep up exact weeks. Ten weeks ish. Uh, we have a daughter Sayla who's five, and my son Judah who's two. So Eden about a, was born a few months ago, and then about a month after Eden was born, I decided to get brave and take the other two kids out. So I took the other two kids out to a birthday party about an hour away in Castle Rock to our, our, the cousin's house, to the cousins. It was at a trampoline park. That'll make anybody desperate, a kid's trampoline park. I spent an hour there, and I thought I was doing really good. Because when you, when you go take two kids by yourself an hour in a car, I mean, you, 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 there's only one of you. So when one of them needs something, I just had the snacks, and I was just throwing them back there, hoping that they landed somewhere, you know. And so... My, I, I get them there. They're, they're fine. They stay alive at the trampoline park. That's all I was hoping for. I get them back in the car, and we're driving back from Castle Rock up towards Centennial. And if you've ever driven on I-25 right there, you'll know what I'm talking about. There's really not much there. And Sayla, my daughter, after five minutes of being in the car, says what any five-year-old says when their dad's alone with them. I have to use the potty. So I'm like, okay, uh, can you wait ten minutes till we get to a gas station? And then she goes, it's diarrhea. And so I slam on the gas. I'm doing 100 miles. And I am dead serious. I'm doing 100 on I-25. I go up to right at Lone Tree there, get off. And there's still nothing there. And so I'm going through uh, just tons of just city streets and trying to find anywhere that's public that might have a bathroom. I drive two miles and I see a godsend, Starbucks. I swing into Starbucks. I put it in the park. And right at that moment... I became a very desperate man. My daughter goes, I went. And I was like, no. So I, I get her out. I'm scrambling. I'm like, keep holding it. So I go, I get her out, unbuckle her. And then I pick her up, start running. And I'm like, wait, I'm by myself and my two-year-old's still in the car. But Judah is very slow and I can't ever get him to do anything quickly. So I did what any of us would do. I locked the door and left him. And I just ran into Starbucks. I'm like passing all the people in line. I put her in the potty. I'll be be right back. I run by all the people in Starbucks, go back out, grab my son, take him in, take care of her. I was desperate. See, you have desperate moments when you... When you just don't have any help, when you feel like you're all alone, when you, when you don't have anyone to turn to, I was desperate. Today, we're going to talk about a parable that Jesus talked about, a desperate man, a hopeless man, a man that, was, that had no one to turn to. So if you'll open your Bibles to Luke 10, 25 
through 36. Luke 10, 25 through 36. So let me give you a little intro to this story. So Jesus is going and he's approached by some teachers of the law. They're called experts in the law. They're the religious teachers of the day. And they come and they pose a question to Jesus. They say, Jesus, how does someone inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers, it's a very famous verse. He says, well, teachers of the law, you should love the Lord your God with all your soul, or all your, sorry, with all your, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. That's how you inherit eternal life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Teacher of the law hears this. He goes, you know, I love God. I do all the commands. I'm an expert in the law. So in Jesus' day, the experts of the law, they had set up all these rules of things to how they were to love God. And he's, I do all those things, Jesus. I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength and all my mind. But what do you mean love your neighbor as yourself? It says in a few versions, the, the Pharisee or the expert of the law said to justify himself, he said, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus goes into one of the most famous parables of all time, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Think of it today. We still have, we have a hospital just down the street, the Good Samaritan Hospital. And so we're going to pick it up where Jesus says, what does it look like for someone to love their neighbor? And in verse 30, Jesus says this. So Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, and they left him half dead. So here's this guy, and if you're a Jew at this time, as Jesus is telling this parable, you see what's going on here, because from Jerusalem to Jericho, there was a stretch there. It was called the, pa- or the, the way of blood, or the path of blood. It was an 18-mile section that no one ever went down. No one wanted to go down the path of blood because they knew this would happen. You would get attacked. You would get robbed. But for some reason, there's a man. He's going down the path of blood, an 18-mile section. And what happens to him? He's attacked. He's robbed. He's stripped of his clothes. He's naked. And he's left for dead. It's, the Bible says he's left half dead. So he just wasn't a little bit out of it. He was probably somewhat potentially unconscious. His, he was bleeding out. There was no hope for him. And so we see this man. He is a desperate, desperate man. He's basically completely abandoned. He's been beaten, and he's hopeless. He's abandoned, he's beaten, and he's hopeless. He's abandoned. He has no one with him. He's by himself on this road. Robbers attack. He knows he's on an 18-mile section where no one is coming. There is no help that is on his way. He is left for dead, naked, and shameful by himself. He's beaten. I mean, can you imagine how he feels laying on the, on the ground, bleeding out, naked, nothing, in a miserable situation? And lastly, he's hopeless. He knows there is no chance that anyone is coming. There's no chance. There is nothing. So we read on. It says this. Can you imagine this for a second before we look into it? This dying man, he's lying there. 
probably can barely see, maybe in and out of consciousness, just bleeding out. He's thinking, will anyone come? Will anyone be here for me? And as he looks up, he sees someone. It might be blurry from the distance, and they're walking down the road. Someone's actually walking down the way of death. I can't believe it. I'm sure he's getting excited. He is so excited. And then as he gets closer, who is it? It's a priest. It's the priest, of course. It's, it's like a, someone that's hired to love people and love God. Like, the, he will help me. And I'm sure as he looks at the priest, he goes, I can't believe it. I can't believe a one in a million chance that a priest would be walking down this road. And as he sits there, watching the man, he watch, watches the priest walk right by. He walks right by, and I'm sure his heart just sinks. And he goes, there is nothing left. Like, that was my one, if I had one shot, that was my shot. The priest should have stopped. And maybe the priest, like, we'll give the priest a little something. Maybe he, you know, they had to do their ceremonial cleaning, and he didn't want to go and get blood on his hands because he was busy and had somewhere to go. Or maybe he was just going, I'm on the path of, on the path of blood. I got 18 miles. I'm not stopping because if I stop, I'm going to end up like that guy. And so he just keeps on going. And then Jesus says, there's another man. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, again, he sees this Levite. A Levite is a little lesser than a priest. He still had duties, uh, religious duties, and was a religious man. But maybe he, he didn't have the, like, to be as clean or have the, all the issues that the priest had. Yet, this religious man, another one in a million chance, what's he do? We all know. He passed by. Someone wants to click that for me. That'd be great. Thank you. He passed by. Can you imagine this dying, abandoned, beaten, hopeless man lying here? He's gone two for two. In his desperation, no one stops. Not the religious leader, not the priest, not the Levite. What's he thinking about the religious leader at that time? Hey, let's pull ourselves out of the story. I don't know about you, but have you ever been hurt or disappointed from someone that claimed to follow God, to love God, that called themselves religious, yet felt like they passed you on the side of the road. I think we've, for some of us, we have felt that. Maybe for you, it was a, uh, it was a parent. There was a parent in your life that, you know, they said they loved God with all their heart. They took you to church, yet they disappointed you time and time again. They did things to you. I have a friend named Nick. His, his dad would take him to church every day, he would re- or every Sunday. He would read the Bible to him, and on the weekdays, he would beat Nick. There's a tainted view of God when someone says they're religious, yet doesn't act upon it. And this is how this desperate man feels. Maybe it was for you, it's a pastor or a youth pastor. For me, I had a youth pastor that super disappointed me when I was in high school. Said things about me, said things behind my back that I just, I did not want anything to do with that guy. Because he was this religious man that said one thing, but it seemed like his life was completely 
different. Or maybe you've had an experience with a pastor that had an affair and you had put a lot of hope and trust in this guy and then all of a sudden he disappoints you. See, religious people, religious things can disappoint us. Maybe it's a public figure saying uh, that you've looked up to that's said that they are a follower of Jesus, yet their lives don't match up to it. You can feel just like the dying man where you're abandoned when you're beaten and you feel hopeless. So Jesus goes on ahead and in verse 33, it says this. It says, but a Samaritan, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Hold on. Samaritan. Somebody have the ESV or the NASB or the King James like Samaritan. This this can't be true. Like a Samaritan, there's no way a Samaritan is stopping for this guy. Come on, the Samaritan, if, if you're a Jew at this time, you go, a Samaritan, Jesus, hold on. You messed something up in this story. Because the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. See, a Samaritan came from when the Assyrians attacked Israel. And if you were a good Jew, you knew there was one thing that you always kept true. You always kept the Jewish blood pure. You always had children with another Jew. Yet what happened is some Jews had kids with the Assyrians, and that became the Samaritans. And they were against each other. A Samaritan man. So this Samaritan man, he sees him, and unlike the religious leader, he comes across the road. He comes to him. And what's it say? He takes pity on him. And not just does he take pity on him, but in verse 34 it says this, It says he went to him, he bandaged him up, he bandaged his wounds, he poured on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So here's the Samaritan, he sees the dying man and he runs to him, he goes to him, not just takes pity, but he stops. Remember, we're on the path of blood, 18 miles, robbers are everywhere. This guy should not stop, he should keep going. He also The Jews don't like the Samaritans. That's the exact wrong person to stop. Yet he stops. He gets down. He pours oil, wine. He bandages the guy up. He picks him up. He takes him up. He carries him over. He puts him on his donkey. So what does that mean the Samaritan's doing on the path of blood? He's walking. He is walking while this near-death desperate man, this abandoned, beaten, and hopeless man is on his donkey. And he just doesn't stop there. He takes him into inn and he says, take care of him. And then the next verse in 35, it says this, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And he says this, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. So He takes him up. He bandages him. He saves his life, puts him on the donkey, risks his own life on this 18-mile stretch, takes him to an inn, and doesn't stop there. He could have left him. He pays for him. And he goes, you know what? You take care of him. I'm going to come back, and I will reimburse you for any expense this guy has. And Jesus asked this in verse 36 as he closes. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor? to the man who fell into the hands of the robber. Which of these three? 
What do you think the teachers of the law were thinking? Priest, Levite, no? Of course it's the Samaritan. Jesus, that's, that's kind of a... That's kind of a redundant question. You know, we know, we get it, Jesus. We know that the Samaritan is the neighbor. The Samaritan was the one that helped him out. The Samaritan was what a true neighbor would be. So let's pull ourselves out of this story for a moment. So we've heard it. Here's what I do when I typically read the Bible. I ask, where am I in this story? Where am I in this story? Or who am I supposed to be in this parable? For me, I think, am I, supposed to, am, I the Levi, or am I the priest? Am I the Levite? Am I the religious guy that's going about his way, that sees people in need, and I should stop, but I don't stop? For me, I'm like, I want to be the good Samaritan. I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that helps the hurting, helps even the person that hates me. I want to go after and help someone that's abandoned, who's beaten and hopeless. I want to live like that. But let's rewind even a little bit further in verse 25. What was the original question that the teacher of the law, the expert of the law, posed? How do I inherit what? Eternal life. Does it interest you guys at all? When you look through the scriptures and through the New Testament, what is the gospel message? What do you have to do to get eternal life? How hard do you have to work? How good of person do you have to be? Yet Jesus says, hey, here's how you do it, expert of the law. <laughs> you need to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you need to love your neighbor like that guy. You need to love like that. Okay, Let's put on pause the neighbor thing. When I think of loving God with all my heart, I will be the first to admit, I fall short a lot in that. Every single day, all the time, loving God with all my heart. I want that. I want that to be true of me. Yet when I truly examine my life, I know that I do not love God with all my heart. I don't love God with all all my strength, not every single moment of every single day, I struggle to love God with all my strength, with all my soul, and with all in my mind, everything that goes through my mind. I don't believe I'm loving God with all of it. There's part of it, and I wanted to love God more and more, yet for, for me, that seems like an impossible command. And then Jesus has to throw this crazy story of an 18-mile journey through the path of blood where you should not be and you do not want to stop and you have to go and treat someone that hates you and you hate them just like the Samaritan took the dying, desperate, abandoned, beaten, hopeless man. And you got to take care of them like that. you got to give them your donkey. you got to go pay for them. you got to come back for them. That seems, Jesus, like a very hard thing to live up to. If I were to pull the crowd and say, can we love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind and love our neighbor as ourself? Can we do that all the time? No. We fail. We miss it. So I want to pose this to you as a church today. What if the point of this parable, what if the point is not for you to be the good Samaritan? 
I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a heart and desire to be a good person and to help our neighbor. But let's pull out and ask the question, maybe it's not the point that Jesus is trying to convey to us. Maybe it's not, we're supposed to be this person. What if you're the guy lying here? What if that's who we're supposed to be in the story? What if we're the abandoned, the beaten, and the hopeless? What if this story is saying, you're not the three guys, you're actually the dying guy. You're left dead on the side of the road, and there is absolutely nothing you can do about it. You ever felt like that? Desperate? Beaten? Broken? Abandoned? Hopeless? I don't know about you guys, but I feel that a lot. I feel like life is a lot like that. I feel abandonedness. Maybe for you, you can feel alone. There's at times where I feel, I've felt in my life, does anyone actually care about me? If I were to die today, would anyone even notice me gone? And you just feel alone. You feel abandoned. That There's no one there for you. Really, does anyone care for you? You might be here today and you might feel abandoned because you said that you love someone and you gave years and years and years and then it ends up in divorce and it ends up in this mess and you're like, I feel abandoned. I feel left. I told you I loved you and now you are gone out of my life. You feel abandoned. Maybe you're the single parent in the room and you're, you're doing everything possible to take care of your kids everything humanly possible and it seems like you can't make enough you can't keep up with the bills and you just feel like i am left alone i have no one to come help me we can feel abandonment. i think this is very true in the boulder area for most people that live in the boulder county area a lot of us don't have family that live close we moved here you you can feel abandonment sometimes like i just wish i had some family here to watch our kids for two hours I just wish I could go to my family and just sit and be me and not have to put on a happy face. You can feel abandonment. So we're abandoned. What about beaten? You ever just feel beat up in life? Ever feel like I can't make a break or nothing is working my way? For some of you, it might be, I've just been sick for a year. It feels like every time I get a little bit more healthy, I get sick again. Or there's a chronic illness in your life where you just feel like your body is taking a beating. And it feels like you can never get above it. For some of you, it might be a battle with cancer or just a a very bad sickness. You feel beat up. I don't know about you guys, but I feel beat up a lot in my sin. I see the person I want to be. I see the character I want to have. I see the type of man I want to be. And yet, when I don't live up to that standard, when I do something stupid or I do something sinful, I just feel beaten down like, I'm doing this again. I don't want to be this anymore. God, I want to be like you, but I just keep falling into this. You feel just beaten up. For some people, what it could look like is just an addiction. You go, I will never do this again. Maybe it's, alcohol maybe it's marijuana maybe it's a sexual addiction there's just something you go i don't want this in my life anymore and you try and you go i'm going to stop this i will stop this forever i will never do that again in a week a month a year goes by and you fall back into it and you just feel like life is beating you up 
feel like you're dying on the side of the road and you don't know what you can do. You might be a stay-at-home mom and you're one kid's sick, one kid's yelling all the time. They're not doing what you're wanting them to do. And, and at the end of the week, you just feel like, I can barely live my life anymore. I just feel beaten up. I just feel like I can't make it. I feel desperate. So we're abandoned. We're beaten. The man was hopeless. No one was coming for him. There was no hope to be found. I feel, you ever felt hopeless? Maybe, maybe your kids aren't doing what you think they should do. Or maybe they're kind of running from the faith. Or maybe they're, they're doing things that you're like, I just, I hurt for them so bad. And what do you feel? You feel hopeless. There's nothing I can do. Maybe you just feel hopeless. Maybe it's with a job. Maybe you just got let go or you're looking for work and you, you're looking and you're looking and you're looking and you're like, I just can't find where my good fit is and I, there's nothing out there. I feel hopeless. How am I going to put food on the table? I just feel hopeless. Or maybe you're in a job where you don't even like it. You go, this isn't what God's called me to. I want something different. You feel hopeless. Maybe you have a boss that you don't even like. You don't want to be around. And it can just feel hopeless. Can you see it? We're that guy. We feel it. That's what life does to us, where we feel abandoned. We feel beaten. And we feel hopeless. I know for me, I feel these things a lot. I know Molly and I, we, uh, we got married, and after a few years, we're like, okay, we want to have kids. And when you're young and you're dumb, you think, oh, we'll just have, like, whenever, like, this month, on this day, we'll get pregnant, and then we'll have a kid nine months later, and it'll all be perfect. Week goes by, month goes by, goes to a year, and we can't get pregnant. At that time, you kind of feel like, hopeless. God, where are you in this? Why, why is this? God does a miracle. We have Selah. Next kid, same story. Year in, feel broken. Like, well, God, we want more kids. We want to have another kid. But yet, it didn't happen. Another miracle, we have Judah. Another miracle, we have Eden. But so much of life is a struggle, isn't it? You know what's crazy about life? It's really easy to look good on the outside, but to be broken on the inside. We live in a culture where this is so true. Social media is like escalating this by greater and greater volumes. Because think about it. We put our highlight reel on social media. It's like, look at the date we went on, or look at this awesome vacation. It's never like the terribleness of life. It's never, my kid is struggling, and I think they may be running from the faith. That's not a social media highlight. We don't put that on Instagram, you know? But life is so easy to look good on the outside, but to be broken on the inside. We're broken. We're broken people. So we're lying dead on the side of the road. And there's this man that comes. He's a different guy. He's not the normal religious leader. He comes from heaven. He walks across the road. And he sees us lying there, bleeding out, naked and abandoned. 
He sees us and he goes, you know, I have, I could do other things. I could keep going, but he stops. He stops and he just doesn't take pity on us. He could have just took pity on us, but he gets down and he fixes us. The oil, the water, his blood covering our brokenness, his blood covering our abandonedness, his blood covering our hopelessness. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to pick you up. And I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take you to safety. I'm going to take you to my home. And he walks us there. And what does he say? He goes, hey, church, I'm coming back for you. I paid the price. I paid the money. You know what? I am coming back. I am coming back. Jesus' death, he was, he was the only one that could help us. See, we can't be perfect on ourselves. We can't love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind. We can't love our neighbor as ourself. We can't force that. Jesus knew that. He came from heaven. He lives the perfect life, the life that you and I cannot live. We, he didn't come just to show us how to live. He came to live the life that we could never live, the perfect life. And then he dies on the cross, rises again, proving that he is the answer. He is the one that beat death. So when his blood is poured on our wounds, he can pick us up. He can take us to his end and he can take care of us. And he goes, hey, I'm coming back for you. I'm not going to leave you. I will come back for you. Jesus knew the religious could not save us. Religion cannot save man. Love saves man. The priest, the Levite, did not save the man. Love saved the man. Jesus knew his love was stronger than our abandonment, than our beatenness, than our hopelessness. He knew his love was stronger than all of that. And he goes, I'll come back. His love is stronger than our brokenness. So as we sit here today, I want to pose three responses you must have. See, if we're the dying man on the side of the road, what is our response to this ultimate Samaritan, this good man that comes to us? First thing is this, is one, you have to consider his help. For a lot of people, I would say that they do not realize that they're abandoned, that they're beaten, they're hopeless, and they're broken. You can live life thinking that you're all good, that you have it all together, that you know all the answers. What if the guy that was laying on the ground just said, I'm all good, <laughs> I'll be okay, I don't, I don't need any help. If you want to, the help of the good Samaritan, you first have to realize you've got to consider his help. You've got to consider his help and realize, I'm, I'm broken. I am broken, and there is nothing I can do about it. I am desperate. How else you must respond is you got to do this. You got to accept his help. Say the dying man, he's laying here and and the Samaritan comes over and and he's like, I'm good. I can do it on my own. And he starts trying to get himself up and he's hobbling, you know, down the road, bleeding out, got 15 more miles to go. He's not good. He can't make it on his own. He has to go. He's basically hopeless and he can't do anything about it. He's got to accept his help 
And he's got to be carried on the donkey and he's got to be taken. Really how someone accepts Christ's help, it says that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's nothing we can do to get God's help. Jesus uh, demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. He came and he picked us up. There's nothing we can do for it. But our response is to accept his help. And really what the Bible says is how one accepts his help is they must repent from their sin and trust in Jesus. Not that they must be perfect, but they must be, I don't want this life anymore. I don't want to live like this in this death anymore. I don't want my brokenness anymore. I want to accept his help. And they trust him and they go, I'll, I'll ride the donkey. I'll go wherever you have for me. I will go with you. They turn from their sin and they trust in Jesus. <laughs> We're to ask here today, greatest decision you've ever made that one right and if you've never made that decision to turn your life and repent from your sin and accept this ultimate samaritan's help all you have to do is come to just to receive that help to trust him to turn from your sin and say god i don't want to live like this anymore and jesus i want my trust in my life in you you know i thought i've done that for a long time in my life and i realized that i just i knew a lot about it but I never really accepted his help. If you're in here today and you've never made that decision, I want you to start pondering right now for the last few minutes of my talk. Why not today? Why not now? We're dead. We're dying. There's nowhere you're going. Can't go, you can't get up on your own. Jesus is here to help. And lastly, our response is this, to be thankful for his help. To be thankful for his help. If you're dying there, naked, beaten, broken, hurting, abandoned, you get thrown on a donkey of a stranger, you get taken to an inn, you get all your medical expenses paid for, what is your response going to be? What are you going to do if that guy comes and talks to you? What's your heart going to feel? I'm going to feel gratitude. I'm going to feel thankfulness. I'm going to feel joy. I'm going to feel excitement. I'm going to, I'm going to say, hey, Whatever you have, if you ever need anything, if you ever need my help, I'm here for you. I'm so grateful. I would be dead without you. You're thankful for his help. Then you're excited for his return. You're thankful for his help and you're excited for his return. You can't can't wait till he comes back. You're like, I'm so thankful for this guy. As we think through this analogy of the parable of the Good Samaritan, I believe Jesus is saying this is how someone inherits eternal life. It's through me, through Jesus. And one must realize they're broken, one must accept his help, and one must live a life of gratitude and thankfulness. It's the process of coming to know Jesus. That's the gospel message. That is how we come into a relationship with God. Yet, I think there's some truth for us here that have made that decision Day in, day out. Because now that we have this relationship with God, now that Jesus has saved us, and he's put us in the end, and he's taken care of us, how do we respond now day in and day out? Because here's the truth in life. The sanctification process is in a life that's still broken, that's beaten, that's abandoned, that's hopelessness. I, I made the decision to trust Christ with my life long ago, yet a lot of times I still feel like this man. I still feel beaten up. 
I still feel abandoned. I still feel broken. And what I believe how someone continues to know God in a deeper level is that process repeats day in and day out. You have to realize, I'm struggling today. Maybe for you, you came in here and you've been struggling today or this week or this month or this year. You have to go, okay, God, it's true. I'm not going to act like I'm perfect. I'm not going to act like I got it together. I'm struggling. I need some help. You go, Jesus, I need your help. And you don't pick yourself up. See, so many times in a Christian life, here's what happens. We're struggling, and what do we do? In our own strength, we try to pull ourselves up and, like, hobble along. And everybody, we know that we're just struggling. And we, we, but for some reason, do you guys feel this? We kind of do this a lot. I do this a lot. I think I can do it on my own. I think I can, in my own strength, I can pick myself up and just make it. But I have to realize I can't. I'm not getting very far. That is my own strength, not Christ's strength in me. When his blood is covering me and I focus on him and my life is about him and I accept his help, then I can walk the Christian life. Day in, day out, the way that someone walks the Christian life is they realize they're broken, they realize they're hurting, they ask for Jesus's help and they're thankful for it. And they go, but this life, it's only temporary. He's coming back. He's coming back for us. All the hurt, all the struggles in our life, we, it can be all thrown away because it doesn't matter. The one that loved us so great, the love that is stronger than our brokenness, he's coming back for us. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. His love is stronger than our brokenness. As I think about the Father's love to send Jesus, to send, to rescue us, people that decided to make bad decisions, people that have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, I can barely fathom that kind of love. I can't even fathom it. The, the parable of the Good Samaritan, it does it justice, but it's still hard to understand how much love the Father has for us. Let me close with this illustration. Let's hypothetically say my son Judah. I bring up my son Judah. He's two years old. And, I, and we find, hypothetically, we find something's wrong with him. We take him to the doctor, and the doctor goes, Hey, Jason, Judah has a rare blood disease, and his heart is bad. He's going to die in six months. His heart is bad. But you are a perfect match. Your heart would be exactly good for his heart. I know this is a hypothetical situation, but roll with me on it. You know what I would say? Have my heart. I love my son. I've lived enough life. I want him to have the joys of life. Take my heart. Take my life. I don't, I, that's how much I love my son. Now, let's hypothetically, situation, say you come up to me, any of you, after the service and go, hey, I have a rare heart disease. I need a new heart. And Judah's heart is perfect with my heart. You know what I'm going to say? You're going to die. You know? I'm not going to give my son for you. There's no way. There's no rational way to think about that. But what does God do? He gave his son for us. What kind of love is that? It's unfathomable. That is why we can say his love is stronger and his love is stronger than all our brokenness. Let me pray for us.
Lord, as we're in here tonight or this morning, God, we admit to you, God, that we are dying on the side of the road and we are helpless, hopeless. We are desperate men and women. There's nothing we can do. There's no person we can turn to. Everything can disappoint us. Nothing will fulfill us. Nothing will give us life. But Jesus, the ultimate Samaritan, has come from heaven, and his blood has covered us. We are thankful for it, God. We are grateful for it. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here today that is considering the decision of saying, you know what, I want to accept this man's help. I want to trust him. I want to turn from my sin, and I want to trust in Jesus. God, I pray that they would make that decision, and God, you would show them how Life is not true life until it is found in your love through the blood of Jesus. God, I know there's a lot of hurt in this room today. It's what we live in. We live in a world of hurt. And so, God, I pray for each person in here that has something very serious in their life that I do not know about. They feel broken. They feel some sort of desperation. They feel maybe abandonment. They feel hopelessness. They feel beaten God, I pray that you would come into their lives and they would realize they can't do it on their own. But your love can. That they would trust you and they would come to you and say, I can't do it, God. I need you. And that they would accept that that love and they would realize you're carrying them and you're taking care of them and that you're in every situation of their life, that we can trust you, Jesus. And God, we look forward to the day when we will meet you face to face in heaven, when we get to say thank you. You said you'll come back for us. We're excited for your return. We love you in your son's name. Amen.